This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. And I'm starting at John, (coughs) chapter 7, starting at verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the festival of tabernacles, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On on hearing his words, some of the people said, Surely this man is the prophet. Others said, He is the Messiah. Now from John chapter 8, verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am. The light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am, you will indeed die in your sins. Who are you? They asked. So Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching... You are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. John chapter 9 verse 1. As Jesus went, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spat on the ground, made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Now finally, John chapter 9, starting at verse 37. Jesus found the man 
And he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard, asked, What? Are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Thanks, Ben. No apologies for long readings. Uh, The Bible is worth reading, and Paul says don't give up the public reading of Scripture. So, well done, Ben. You get points from Paul for doing that one. We're doing the I Ams of Jesus. Uh, Last week we did I Am the Bread of Life, uh, and this week we're doing uh, I Am the Light of the World. Okay, I've actually been quite preachery this week. I've got lots of M's. So, uh, five M's. So, I never do that, do I normally just ramble on through, but five M's to help you as I ramble on through. Um, But let's pray. Father, we just uh, pray as we look at you, Jesus. Uh, We always delight in your mercy and goodness, your saving power and your healing grace. And Lord, we're we're shocked like other people at the bold statements you make. Uh, And Lord, I pray that they would not just be, as we said last week, things that are too familiar to us, things that we've heard before. But I pray that the full impact of your gospel will reach into our hearts uh, today in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first M is the moment. Uh, this week around the world, the Jews are celebrating a, a feast called, uh, excuse me, I pronounce it wrong, uh, Sukkot, which is actually the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, I just was uh, re- working through the, 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 the passage and I thought, oh, this is a Feast of Tabernacles. I wonder where the Feast of Tabernacles is. So I googled it and it's now. So Jews around the world are doing the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. And this is a festival that remembers the Jewish Exodus. A lot of our story as we go through John as this kind of backdrop of the Jewish story of Exodus. Remember we talked about uh, Moses at the burning bush and then we talked about last week manna, uh, God providing bread, manna in the wilderness. And this week the background is the wanderings of the uh, people of Israel in uh, in the wilderness. And so what they did is... Uh, God instituted this festival called the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths where they would make kind of tents and put them on the roofs of their houses or in their gardens and they'd move out of their house and they'd, um, they'd live in these tents or these booths. And, um, and this is, uh, at this feast, this is where we, we find Jesus today in John 7 to 9. If you think, man, there's some serious editor's cuts in that, I took out all the debates between Jesus and the Pharisees about who he really is. Because uh, although that would have been interesting stuff, we'd have been here a heck of a long time. And so, so um, we're in John 7 to 9 today. And basically, the Feast of Tabernacles were focused on the temple. Lots of John's Gospel is actually focused on the temple. And if you want to ask me, I was telling Paul yesterday uh, about all some interesting insights I had. If you want a little insight into the the structure of John's gospel with the temple, you can ask me afterwards. But basically, it's focused around the temple. And the seven days of this festival uh, had, uh, where they were living in tents, um, they did a couple of other things. One of the things they would do is they'd celebrate how God brought water from the rock in, in, in uh, the, the desert. The, the story 
knows that the Israelites were, were grumbling, as they often do, as God's people do. Uh, you can do well as well. We do do that. And uh, they were saying there's no water. And God said to Moses, strike the rock. And out of the water, out of the rock will come water. And they, and they drank water. And so what they would do is they would remember this festival by, by pouring water into a little pipe uh, next to the altar. It's also a picture of Ezekiel 47, which is a picture of the river of God that flows out from the altar that starts kind of ankle deep, knee deep, waist deep. You can read it in Ezekiel 47. And so they would have this uh, ceremony where the high priest would pour a little water. Here, oh, here's the altar arriving. Yeah, I could pour it in. And they'd, they'd take a little bit of water and they'd pour it into the tube from the pool of Siloam. And then they, the, the priest would pour it in. And then all the kind of people would run around uh, and, and, and watch the water kind of come on out of this, this little pipe under the Temple Mount. It was like a little trickle. It's a bit like watching uh, air, paper airplanes when Leeds, uh, not Leeds, when England are playing. Did you see that? that, that it's such a boring game that everybody throws paper airplanes. Everyone else is going. So it's a bit like that, a bit of a non-event. But they kind of did this and it was meant to remind them that, that God would be this uh, flowing, living water. And uh, But it was really just a little bit of a trickle. And Jesus takes this ritual, first of all, and says... Um, on the, it says, on the last and great day of the festival, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, whoever is thirsty, come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as a scripture, that would be Ezekiel, has said, rivers of living water would flow from within him. By this he meant the spirit of those who would believe in him later to receive. So Jesus is saying, look, you've got this little ritual of water pouring to remember what God did, what God did an amazing miracle, and you've got this ritual of water pouring. I just want to tell you, I am the, I'm, I'm the fulfillment of this. I'm the rock that was struck. And he's obviously going to be struck on the cross. That's interesting. You know that Moses got told off for striking the rock twice? Why? Because Jesus is only going to die once. Okay, so he, 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 um, he, Jesus is the rock that, that, that's crucified, that's struck, and out of him flows life. And he's saying, look, that, that you've gone for this little trickle of a religious festival, uh, a little religious ritual, and I want to tell you that you can have life that flows out of you to other people. And so that's the first thing he does. The second thing that happens in the festival, which is more pertinent to what we're doing, but I think it's still re- both relevant, is that they would have this uh, ceremony where they would light a massive, well, four massive candelabras, four massive candles. I don't know how big they were, but they, by all accounts, they were so big that they would they they put them in the Temple Mount. If you've ever been to Jerusalem, the temple's on a kind of flat, flattened hilltop. And uh, it's above the city, and they put these massive candelabras, four massive candelabras that would, and they'd light them at the beginning of the festival, and they would give light to the whole city. And then, at the end of the festival, they would snuff the candelabras out, uh, and darkness, uh, and they'd leave literally the temple and the city dark uh, for a few months for people to feel that kind of sense of dark. And, and Jesus, at this moment, Jesus does uh, what we read in John 8, 8, 17. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. I don't know if you've ever been in that kind of pitch darkness kind of situation. Particularly if you've had light, bright light, and then pitch darkness. You are very aware of the darkness, almost like your senses are very aware the darkness and what Jesus does is right into this moment where all their kind of senses uh, their other senses because their sight's not working as it were they can't see anything all the other senses are aware you could probably hear this voice I am the light of the world he's basically saying look you followed Yahweh you followed uh, God through the wilderness uh, as a pillar of fire and now you've got to come and follow me 
I mean, it's outrageous in many ways. If you'd have thought, well, who is this guy? And so a lot of the debate that I cut out is about, like, well, who is this guy to say this stuff? Who does he think he is? The light of the world? Really? Give us a break. Who do you think you are? But Jesus says this amazing thing. And he's saying, come on, it's about me. And I think before we judge the first century Jews, we can easily uh, we, and say, oh, you know, how, how did they miss Jesus? We can do that so easily. Uh, we can have rituals in church. And I know you might think, oh, this church is a new church. It doesn't have rituals. We have rituals. We sing our songs and we do our Bible and we do the stuff. We have our rituals. And you can go through all of those things and they just can become empty motions. They become lighting candles or pouring little bits of water. And there's never an expectation that God would be there. And we need to challenge ourselves as we read this story to say, hey, God is saying there's an expectation that I'm going to be there. I'm going to come and do some stuff. I'm going to come and impact you. I'm going to come and speak to you. I'm going to come and stir you up. I mean, it's interesting, you know, the sense of the Spirit of God. I, I feel sometimes sad about us as a church. I mean, I love loads of what we are as a church. But sometimes I feel sad about us as a church because we, we talk about a, a, as if we're a church that believes in the Spirit of God, rivers of living water that flow from within us. But actually we're so reluctant or nervous to express that. And I know that sometimes that can be expressed in a way that kind of weirds people out, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the Spirit of God, the very life of God within us. It should be like this spring of life, this joy, this goodness that flows out to other people. It should bring a gift of the Spirit. You know, Jesus is going to heal someone in this story. I think, come on, guys. I'm asking, saying up to myself, let's not just be those that say, oh, we've, we do our stuff. We, we've, we've got our rituals true. Let's, let's not too. Let's not just have them as empty rituals. So that's the, the moment. That's what's happening in the context of, of John 7, 8, 9. <clears throat> now, the metaphor. I don't know if you uh, watch the news or not. I, I watch the news uh, far, probably too much, actually. But I saw this week that um, three scientists won the Nobel Prize for, me- for medicine for work on circadian rhythms. Does anyone know what circadian rhythms are? It sounds like a cool band from the 1970s, doesn't it? Does anyone know what they are? Sleep patterns, yeah, it's the day and night uh, sleep patterns. <coughs> Every living thing responds to that change from light to darkness, darkness to light. Every living thing, little set, single-celled organisms, plants, you do, animals. It's, it's one of the most basic experiences uh, of life. And so we kind of get this idea of, of light and darkness. We understand this contrast of light and darkness. The Bible starts with these words, in the beginning the earth was dark and formless and empty. There's a sense where the very start of the story starts with darkness. It's almost that sense of darkness, like when Jesus is in the temple, there's darkness, and then then God says, let there be light. And Jesus, in the same context as it were, in that darkness says, I am the light of the world. Light always drives out darkness. In fact, I always like this idea that, that darkness is a, no, a non-thing. There isn't a such a thing as darkness. It's not a substance. It's not really exists. There's only light and absence of light. So it's really funny, isn't it? Uh, I don't know if, if any of you guys like, uh, were ever scared of the dark. 
you probably don't admit it now, but I we used to go at this I used to go to this Methodist church that had this base youth youth basement. I don't know why they put the youth in the basement. But we had this youth basement and sometimes it had this light switch that would switch itself off automatically and it was the darkest, darkest place. I used to, I used to be scared stiff. And there's something about scared of the dark. There's something about when darkness envelops us, we can feel that kind of decreation, that sense of, oh, this isn't how it's supposed to be. Because we know that physically life on this planet drives everything. You know, it's my geography hat on, but it drives all the Earth's climate systems. It drives the energy, the the, 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 the chlorophyll. I'm looking at uh, Will Nairn's biology hat on. You know, the, the chlorophyll in green plants gathers the energy, and that energy provides the food for the food chains. We kind of get that sense that the, the sun provides... Uh, life for all of us, um, and I, I don't. I don't know my 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 son, my middle son. I think he did. I don't think he does it now. Thank thank goodness. But he didn't have a spell of watching zombie movies. Uh, I, I hope none of you watch. Well, I mean, they're pretty pretty harmless. But there's always this kind of apocalyptic zombie movies where it's always this nuclear winter, isn't it? It's always dark. There's been some massive explosion that's blocked out the sun, and everybody's kind of mutated into these kind of horrible things. And it's kind of death and disease. And we kind of get this idea that that light is life, and darkness is death. We also understand uh, the thing, uh, the metaphor that that light reveals. Uh, we um, we were given a, a different bed some years ago, or I think a couple of years ago, uh, and um, and actually it was just a little bit bigger uh, and a bit lower, so you could really bang your shins on the bed. And, and what happened is, uh, I've got a perchance to, to pop to the the, the the ensuite in the middle of the night, and I had about a month of like banging my shins on this bed because I didn't quite know where it was. Because obviously I don't want to wake Naomi up, and and there's there's I don't know. You know, if you're in a place where you think uh, it's it's really dark and you don't know where it is, I remember I went skiing with a, a PE teacher, and um, I, he was a bit of a bad boy anyway. But I went skiing with him when I was a teacher, and um, and what, and he was looking for the toilet, and he ended up in the cupboard. <laughs> it wasn't a pretty story, uh, but <laughs> but there's a sense where you know you. So right light bounces off things and reveals things, and darkness hides things. Um, and lastly, we understand in human culture, we understand this sense of um, good and evil. Light uh, stands for, for good. Uh, John 1, uh, 1 John 1, 5 says, God is light, in him there is no darkness. Maybe that's why we're scared of the dark, because think, well, if it's darkness, God's not here. And I know that um, even uh, scientists can say that, that, that lack of sunlight makes you sad. There's literally a thing called sad, isn't there? What was it? I don't know. That solar something that makes you sad. I remember when we left my son, uh, Zach, at the, uh, his halls of residence. He was down in the basement, and, and it felt like a little prison. It had a tiny little window. And I, I and we, as you go, you go away like kind of parents. You leave them, and you think, man, poor little boy in his prison. <laughs> I bought him one of these solar lights so he wouldn't feel sad. Because I, I know that, that, you know, John Denver had it right. Anyone know John Denver? He seems to be in films at the moment. John Denver, what song goes? Sunshine on my shoulder makes me happy. In a sense where light brings joy. Yeah. No one knows that song, do they? Not, did anybody know that song? I'm looking. Yeah, thank you, Paul Hunt. Yeah, thank you. A couple of people, cool people in my age bracket. <clears throat> Sunshine on your shoulder makes you happy. Look it up on Spotify. There's this sense where, where, where light makes, gives you joy and, and, and lack of light makes you sad. In fact, explorers 
who uh, spend too, lots, too long in the kind of Arctic winters, they literally get depressed. So we understand that. And we understand that light uh, is um, good, that, that light is a picture <coughs> of goodness, that as God's children we're told to live as children of the light, to walk in the light as God is in the light. And, and when we sin, sin's called the deeds of darkness. Um, and, when, and, and people who reject God are called lost in darkness. Literally, they're fumbling around, not knowing where to go. And 1 Peter 2.9 says, We are called out of the darkness into his wonderful light. So we've got this idea of, of, of the metaphor of, of light brings life. It, it, it brings revelation. It shows things out. It gives, brings us joy. makes us feel good. So, so let's look at the next one then, the, the meaning. So Jesus declares, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of light. We've got to remember when Jesus is doing the I am statements, he's the original one who spoke out of the burning bush. You could debate this with me, but I think he's the original one who speaks out of the burning bush and says, I am who I am. I have heard the suffering of my people. I've concerned for them and I've come down. There's always these I am statements. Is, I am the great God and I'm the God who saves. And when we, we'll pick that up as we roll through this. I am the eternal God and I'm the God who comes down and saves. So when Jesus makes these I am statements, he's saying, I am God, which creates all the debate. But he's also saying, I'm the God who comes to save. And so as we run through these statements, um, Jesus is saying those things. So, so perhaps as we say that I am the light of the world... Uh, he said, "In whoever follows me, interesting that idea of following, it's a bit like the pillar of cloud, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but have the light of life. Basically, God is saying, I know you might think, you know, if you're Egyptian, or you might think if you're a, a kind of a solar physicist that all life comes from the sun. He's saying, no, 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 all life comes from me. All life comes from me. We forget that. We think life comes from other things, that we have life in ourselves because we're biological or because we live on this planet, because there's sun and atmosphere. We think that life, life comes from, uh, is, is part of us, it's, we have, but actually life comes from God. Life ultimately comes from God. He created life, he created light, he's, he's the source of all things. And so you, when you die, it's not because your time's run out, that your, your biology's run out. It's actually, death comes because actually it's, because it's the absence of God. It's caused by sin. We all sin, so we all die. And so this sense of that life, God is saying, life, spiritual and physical flows from me. But he's also saying uh, that I'm the God who speaks life into darkness. I speak dark light into dark places. Uh, Paul talks about becoming a Christian. He said, the God who said, let there be light has shone his light into our hearts, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. In other words, becoming a Christian is having God's light spoken of. It's having him saying, I'm the light of the world, let there be light. And he, he speaks it over us. Uh, the, 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 John 8, he says this, whoever, fo- whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. God is the one who brings life. Um, Jesus is saying that. But he's also that, that he's saying that I'm the one who reveals truth. It's interesting about truth, isn't it? There's a debate when Jesus is on trial. Pilate says to him, tell me what truth is. The Greek philosophers at the time were discussing, well, what is truth? Is there such a thing as truth? I was chatting to a guy at Barwalk, as it happens, um, and, um, he was, um, and he's basically saying, I don't think there's anything as truth. Everything is as I perceive it. 
he's, he's, the guy's spiritually searching, he's been looking at different things, um, and he's, he's saying, you know, everything's I, as I perceive it. And I said, well, do you believe there's, there's such a thing as finding the truth? Are you always, always going to be searching and never finding? Because if you don't believe there's anything true, you're always searching and never finding. That's our culture, really, spiritually. But I said, no, I believe there's something that, that is absolute, that, that Jesus, God, defines what is true and what's not true. He defines true reality. We want, we want to say to God, no, we don't like what you define. We don't like your views of marriage. We don't like your views of sexuality. We don't like your views of material things. We, we'd rather define our own views of things, actually. But the truth is, no, God defines what's true. Um, I, I, I love, well, I don't love, I find this passage from Isaiah 49 really challenging. It says, um, so justice is far from us. This is our society, guys. This is our world. Justice is far from us. And righteousness does not reach us. We look for light. But all is darkness. For brightness. But we walk in deep shadows. Like blind we grope along the wall, feeling our way like people without eyes. At midnight we stumble, at midday we stumble as if it's twilight. I mean, that's true for us. But I think it's hugely true for our political leaders. It's hugely true for those that people, I think, it just feels, where, where's, the, where's the light? It feels like they're stumbling along the wall. They're just taking opinion of public opinion. Let's ask public opinion what they think about this particular issue. And that's what we'll do. You know, where's the sense of, there's, there's the light, let's head towards it. Where's the sense of, uh, you know, some leadership? You know, where's the sense of, like Israel, there's God and we're going to go where he says. It says in, uh, in Psalms, righteousness exalts a nation. And I, I worry for the Western world that's so-called Christian. I feel we are stumbling in the dark. Where's righteousness? Stumbled in the streets. Groping along the wall, trying to find answers. Jesus is the one who reveals the truth. He says this, he says, I've come to open the blind eyes. I've come to open the spiritual blind eyes, and I've come to open the physical blind eyes. He says this, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. And then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. When Jesus shines his light on your life, the truth of what he said sets you free. It sets you free from wandering. It sets you free from being your own God. I said to this guy at Bar Walk, I said, it's exhausting trying to craft a story where you're the center of the story. I said, what you need, and I got my little Bar Walk menu, and I said, as if it was like the big story of God, I said, what you need is, you need to find your place in God's big story. You need to let him define truth. And that's going to set you free. You feel like, oh, if I make my story about Jesus... I'm suddenly going to be a slave to all his rules. That's a lie. That's blind groping along the walls. No, if you put yourself in Jesus' story and say, Jesus is my story, suddenly you're relieved from all the pressure of trying to be the hero of your own story. If you know the truth, the truth will set you free. He said uh, further down in the reading, it says, if the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. Truth sets you free. That's why we do this. It's a strange thing in our society to sit and listen to somebody for four hours on a Sunday morning. (laughs) A couple of others. Jesus says, I am good. When he's saying, I'm the light of the world, he says, I am good. In me, there is no bad thing. Our 
society likes to blame God. I don't know, I've used it before, but Stephen Fry, the, the comedian, who I think is very erudite and funny, but he basically had a rant at God and said, you know, God, you're to blame for this. Look at the world, it's your fault. Look at the mess, look at the child's children born with disabilities. Look at the world that's in, look at the starvation. It's your fault. And he says, when I get to heaven, I'm going to have a word with God and tell him what a horrible world you've made. He's groping along the dark, trying to find an answer. Stephen, there is no evil in God. We need to look much closer, much closer to home. Jesus says about himself, he says, you are from below. In other words, we're from the earth, we're from the dirt, we're from this sinful place. I am, and I think he's using the phrase again, I am from above. You are from this world, I'm not from this world. He's saying, there's something, I'm in a totally different category of holiness to you. I am God, holy, without sin, perfect in every way, but you're not. He says, if you... You'll die in your sins. He's saying, in other words, that's the inevitable cycle of of life on this planet, that we think it's just the way things roll. Sin begets death, and death is this inevitable thing. But he's saying, no, I'm not from this world. I'm kind of come and bring something different. And then lastly, uh, as we do this, and we'll we'll race through. The metaphor, as it works itself out, I am the saviour. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He's saying, I'm the true pillar of light that leaves you from slavery. There's a big debate. They said, he says, I'll lead you from slavery. And they say, the Jews say, we've never been slaves at all. I think, well, what's this kind of thing about Exodus and coming out of slavery? They completely forget. They say, we're sons of Abram. We're never slaves of anyone. And he says, well, don't worry. Before Abram born, I was. And they think, right, we're definitely going to kill him now. But there's this idea the son will set you free. He's the saviour. I've come to rescue the world. I told you that you will die in your sins And this is staggering, isn't it? You will die in your sins if you do not believe that I am. Wow. And we do this many times. I use this image, I used it last week. If God is life, to step away and reject God is to be lost in darkness, to die in our sins. If you step away from God, you will die in your sins. You want us to die physically, because we think, oh, everyone does that. You'll be in death forever. Outer darkness, the Bible calls it. Where there's weeping and wailing. Outer darkness, away from the life and love of God. Jesus is saying, you need to do that. I don't think he's threatening people. He's not saying, if you believe in me, I'm going to punish you. He's saying, that is the reality. You have committed suicide and sinfully walked away from God. And if you don't come close to God, you will die forever. <sighs> Thankfully, Jesus doesn't leave us there. Let's move quickly on to the man. Jesus says this interesting phrase about himself. He says, when, I am, when you've lift, he says, when you, to the Jews, when you've lifted up the Son of Man, you'll know that I am. What he's saying is, when I'm lifted up, you're going to know that I'm God. At that moment, you're going to know that I'm God. Or at least you should know that I'm God. At that moment, and in fact, when, Je- when Jesus is talking about being lifted up, I've given you a little clue there, haven't I? But, but when Jesus is talking about being lifted up, he's talking about being crucified. The idea comes from wandering in the wilderness. What happened in the wilderness, there was this big uh, 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 kind of plague of snakes, these poisonous snakes that came in to the, kind of, uh, the camp and they would bite the people. And the people suddenly would, would have, suffer from this poison and die. 
It's interesting, isn't it? We've seen snakes before, haven't we? That bring death. Right at the beginning of the story. But hey, that's a free one for you. But, um, but they come in and you think, okay, right. Then, so what would be God's solution? But actually God says, I'm going to take, I'd like Moses, I'd like you to make a snake of bronze. I have, you know, he obviously said, wait, wait, quick in the workshop, make a snake of bronze. Put it up on the pole. He says, lift up the snake on the pole. And when you look at the snake, you'll be healed. Why do you think he used a snake there? Why do you say, oh, I'm going to do a picture of a lamb or something that we kind of got with? It's because actually what happened on the cross is that, that Jesus became sin. He became the very thing that was destroying us. Sin, the very thing that brought death. He became that, that on the cross, he became sin. He became sin. So that we might know the righteousness of God. So that's like this picture. So when Jesus says, I'm going to be lifted up, then you're going to see who I really am. It's brilliant in Mark's Gospel. The centurion who saw our doubt says, Truly, this man is the Son of God. He sees him for who he is. But lots of them didn't see. Didn't believe. What else happens on the cross that's interesting about light? There's an attempt almost like for... For decreation to come in. It's almost as that on the cross, as if the darkness wants to take the world back to chaos. It wants to take God and destroy him. It wants to crush him in the darkness. It wants to take him back to the very beginning. The God who says, let there be light. It's almost like darkness wants to come. And we know that on the cross. It says, from the noon to about three in the afternoon, darkness came over the land. It's kind of this sense of decreation, it's sense of evil and foreboding, it's this sense of what we should fear at that point. The singer song that how great the Father's love for us. And there's a line in that says, A father turned his face away. We could debate whether that's actually theologically true or not, but, but the fact is that, that Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Feels the Darkness and the outer darkness and the absence of light, the absence of love and life and truth of its father, and feels the horror of it. We don't feel that horror. But we should. Darkness will crush us. Thankfully, we know it didn't crush Jesus, that he rose again. His clothes were shining bright. The tomb was empty. But also, the cross is about judgment. Jesus says this interesting phrase. He says, for judgment I've come into the world. Now that sounds like he's kind of got come to the world and he says, right, let's start with the worst sinner of all. So we start with Andy Allen because he's yawning at my sermon. And we're going to just take your sins now and we're going to just project them up on there. Okay. You, there's none so blind as then will not see. And we're going to project it up there, and then when we think he's deserving death, then we'll go for him, yeah? Poof. Yeah? And then we'll go for David Kang's not so quite so bad, and Tom, where well, he's lovely. <laughs> but we work through, we work through and think, right, Jesus has come, he's strapped on, you know, I, I don't want to use this metaphor, actually, I was going to use a metaphor of, of strapping on an AK-47 and taking us down, but poof, no. You know, after what happened in uh, Las Vegas... But, you know, there's a sense where Jesus has come for, for judgment. He's just come to take us out. Just come to take one after another. He's just come. That's what I've come for. I've come to take him out. 
says, I've come for judgment. But elsewhere, John says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that who should have believed in him should not perish but have eternal life. For I did not come into the world to condemn the world. Jesus, you schizophrenic here, what's going on? Are you coming to condemn the world, aren't you? No. He's coming for judgment, but why? But the judgment falls on who? We know this story, you should be excited. The judgment falls on him. The punishment falls on him. He has come to the world for judgment. But he's come to take the judgment you and I deserve upon himself. Why? So that the blind, that would be us, can see. And those who think they're clever and cool, and they know all the right answers, won't see. It's come to open our eyes to the horrific nature of how much it cost us, Jesus to declare us not guilty. He's come to open our eyes to the slavery of our sin, the inevitability of our death. He's come to open our eyes so that we may truly love him. Paul says this. He says, The God of this age has blinded the mind of unbelievers. So you can't see? I find it... I'm not smug because I don't think I've earned it. I don't believe that it was any good works of mine that made God show me his truth. But I look and think, why, why can't you see it? You know, I talk to people, we had three, two, one, and people come and people go, don't they, Andy? And, and you think, why, why can't you see this? It's because there's a light and darkness battle on. There's a, there's a blind and seeing battle going on. It says, the God of this age is blind. He doesn't want them to see what beautiful Jesus is like. That he's come to take our sin and come to give us life and freedom and truth. Paul says if the gospel message is veiled, it's veiled to those who can't see it, to foolishness. So we're going to break bread in a moment. We're going to do one more thing, but we're going to break bread. And when we break bread, I want us to remember, I know the imagery is not as strong as I'm the bread of life. There's no light here. But I want you to understand that it's his body was punished for your sin. His body was judged for your sinfulness. He was judged so that you can be acquitted. He, was the, he became sin, the snake on the pole, so that we can know who God is. But let's finish with the last one. The mission. Jesus backs up his claim to be the light of the world by healing a man born blind. It's interesting, always when Jesus says something... He always backs it up. I, I feel aware that, that there's, there's someone here partially sighted and someone here is blind. And I, you know, I think, I wish Jesus was here to bring light for them. I mean, he is. He is. But actually, the ser- more serious than we think how tragic it is, more serious is our own spiritual blindness. And Jesus has said, look, I've come on a mission to open eyes. Right there in Jesus as he heals the man and man sees him and says, oh, I know who you are, I believe who you are now. Right there is the microcosm of what Jesus has done. Eyes are opened. Truth is revealed and the and believed and slaves set free. Isaiah 47 says this, I, the Lord, will make you, my people, my brackets there, a light for the Gentiles. And this is what we're supposed to do. 
This is what Jesus is going to do, but this is what we're supposed to do, to open up eyes that are blind. To free captives from prison and release from the dungeon all who sit in darkness. Jesus says, as long as it's today, that's what I'm doing. We must work. He doesn't say, I'm working, you can watch. He's saying, we must work. We must work. He says, the night's coming when no one's going to work. I don't know what that means. Maybe it was when... After the crucifixion, maybe it means there's going to be a time in the world where it's going to be so difficult, it's going to be so hard to preach the gospel. Maybe it feels like that now. But he said, let's work. While I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. And then Jesus says about us, that we're the light of the world. Flip the last two slides over. We're to live as communities of light, communities of truth, communities of God's spirit, visible, engaged with the world. Matthew 5, familiar passage to many of you, says, you are, it was him, but it's now us. You are the light of the world. The Christians in this town, the Christians in this nation, we're the light of the world. We do all those things. We bring life where we are. We bring truth where we are. We bring freedom where we are. We bring goodness where we are. We haven't come to judge the world. So what a mess it is, we've come to bring life. You are the light of the world. A town or a city built on a hill that cannot be hidden. And then he says, guys, do people put people light a lamp and put it under the bowl? No, instead they put it on the stand. It's like the Feast of Tabernacles, this big light in the temple. Put it on the stand, it gives light to everybody in the city. In the same way. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This was Jesus' mandate. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Not a trickle of water, some religious ritual, some candle lighting moment. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me, poured his Spirit on me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners and say it with me, and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to declare the day of the Lord's favour. You live in that day. If you're a Christian, you live in the day of the Lord's favour. If you're not, I'm not saying this to scare you, you will die in your sins without him. If you see that he has taken your place upon the cross, that his life is your life, there's life forever and freedom from sin. Don't tell me that you can't walk free from the sin. Don't say, oh, there's this habit that I can't break. No, the sun set you free. You're free indeed. And we're free to shine. C.H. Spurgeon said, I'm a man on fire and people come and watch me blaze. That's how we should be. That's how we should be. Men and women on fire. Let people come and watch us blaze. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.